This podcast is a project of the Mass Cultural Council. We believe in the power of culture, the arts, humanities, and sciences to enrich communities, advance equity, and foster creativity. Of how can you be truly equitable? I think what what is the makeup of this country? Because ultimately we are American museums, right? So what's the makeup of this country and how can we think more equitably about representation? Hi, I'm Anita Walker at the Mass Cultural Council, and welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. Our guest today is Luis Croker. Uh, he is the Henry and Lois Foster Director and Chief Curator of the Rose Art Museum, and welcome to our program. Thank you, Anita. Delighted to be here. We are so excited to have you in Massachusetts, and time is slipping away, but you are relatively new within the last couple of years in terms of taking the helm at the Rose Art Museum, uh, literally one of the finest collections of contemporary art in America. Yes, and, and, and that was one of the main reasons why I'm here. I was so interested in working with a collection that's uh, nationally and world-renowned, um, sometimes even more than, than it is locally, and, and that seemed like a very exciting experience for me to, to come in and work with this fantastic collection. So give us a little bit of the um, uh, journey you took uh, from your beginnings to arriving in Boston. So I've been in the United States for about, uh, I, I moved here in 2001, and I, um, and I worked in New York mostly, and then I, uh, at different institutions, I was for a time at the Guggenheim, and then at the El Museo del Barrio, which is the Latin American Museum, among others, and then I, I worked as the, as the first uh, permanent director of the Museum of Contemporary Art in Detroit, and that was a very interesting experience um, um, opening a museum. I, in my in my career, I've had the opportunity of to open two museums, which is, you know, kind of rare and exciting. And then I moved to Seattle, Washington, where I was the deputy director of exhibitions, collections, and programs at the Henry Art Gallery, which is the the contemporary museum at the University of Washington. One of the things, uh, and you and I have talked before, but one of the things that you bring into our museum community um, is a lens because of your Latino background. Uh, we don't have a lot of diversity at the heads of our museums, do we? No, I, I think the field um, still is not diverse enough. And I think that that perspective is, is, is unique. It allows us to be able to, to enrich what we do. I think in Massachusetts also, there isn't that much diversity, but it's also reflected nationally. I, um, I'm also, I, I'm, I'm very proud to be Latino, but I am also a, a bit of a hybrid. My father was a diplomat, so I also um, grew up mostly abroad and in Africa and Asia and in Europe. And so I, I feel like I've had a very privileged um, perspective of seeing the world at large. And I think as this as we discuss these issues of, of equity and inclusion and diversity, I think a richer conversation is necessary. I think we can fall into um, a lot of very um, specific uh, solutions or reparations that are sometimes not the most, the, not the easiest things to implement, and and that don't really get to the problem. I I know this is a big issue to to discuss, but I do feel that there's so much more to do in in that regard. One of the things that you bring is familiarity with artists that are not frequently or typically uh, exhibited in our museums in Massachusetts. And you told me a story about um, when you first came to the Rose. Obviously, the first thing you wanted to do was 
get down in the basement and explore the collection? What did you discover? So, uh, so that was interesting. I think that there, you know, with with all institutions, there are uh, myths about what they have, and the row certainly people think that it's very strong in post-war art and mostly painting, and that's certainly not true. The collection is much broader, much more international, uh, much more diverse than people imagine. But one of the things that was interesting, and that that's the story that that I told you, was that in uh, looking at the collection very closely, which I've been doing uh, for the last nearly two years, I was going through the whole collection to be able to do uh, to to study it and to and to and to develop also a collecting strategy. Uh, but also I did a couple of shows that were trying to chart the 19, uh, 1900 to, to, to today. And I found a lot of uh, Latin American artists in the collection that have never been shown, that uh, are very important figures who are really like masters now. And in fact, one of them just has a show right now at the Met, at, uh, at the Met Breuer, uh, Julio Le Parc. Uh, we have uh, three pieces by him. We have a piece... Uh, we have a couple of pieces by Jesus Rafael Soto, um, artists that, you know, I think at another time, at a, at a more difficult time for, for, for an international art world, um, a lot of these artists who are very important um, innovators in their own field uh, were called derivative artists, which, are very, which was a very derisive word um, to, to signify that they were sort of, you know, deriving ideas from white artists, essentially, or European and American artists. And now with the the inclusion of many more art historians who come from diverse backgrounds, it's been possible to to kind of rewrite those stories. And this relates to what we were talking about before. And, and those artists have, have started to enter the center. And so that begins to complicate the whole idea of uh, who in art history, you know, is what are movements, who who are innovators. So I'm happy to be able to unearth some of these pieces and then put them back where they should be in front. Um, and also to, to continue looking because there might be other things that are still hiding there. You know, it's interesting because I think when we think of the Rose and a contemporary, it's the big names, it's a war. Oh, you have a Warhol. Mm-hmm. So that makes it special. And so how do we uh, really shine a light on and elevate into the public consciousness some of these other artists that, you know, weren't traditionally American iconic artists? I think it's a concerted effort. It's, it's, it's one on many fronts. I think it's not something that museums in themselves can do. I mean, I think academia is doing a very important work, just visibility in terms of understanding where they fit in. I think that that was the I think that that's still the issue, you know, not being able to see where things actually fit in. And and um, and because art history in particular had tried to create these very neat boxes where things fit well and things that sort of fell in between, you know, in, in the interstitial spaces made things complicated. But I think these artists actually create subjectivity, which is really important to the kind of world that we live in. And so to be able to understand modernism through a subjective experience of somebody who's grown in the South or, you know, in Asia or in other parts where they're not, you know, following the purity of, of, of a Western experience begins to tell other stories. And, and I think one of the most important things that we're learning from art history is that that modernism claim to be so pure and so um, devoid of ideas. And in general, uh, art 
is also um, fueled by a lot, a lot of ideas, context, I think, uh, in particular, looking at the post-war moment that we have very good holdings of, um, a, lot of that, a lot of that work was influenced by, uh, by the end of the war, by reconstruction, by uh, you know, the advent of, 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 of a different economic system. And so when we be- begin to look at those things as, a, as a, a way of capturing the zeitgeist of the moment, then you know, it becomes much more essential. I think that that's the big challenge for us, that people have tended to look at art museums as something where you go and experience things that are beautiful and um, that you like. And I think that there are things that are interconnected with our history, with with um, with the changes that the world is always going in uh, through. So as you um, um, are taking the responsibility of what is um, agreed, an amazing collection of what we call contemporary art, where do you go? Where do you, as, uh, as one who continues to build the collection at the Rose, uh, what is your approach? How do you think about that? Well, I think that, you know, one thing that is clear, and that's why I was also um, trying to read the whole collection, is to be able to think of, of how can you be truly equitable? I think what, what is the makeup of this country? Because ultimately we are American museums, right? So what's the makeup of this country and how can we think more equitably about representation in the collections, who's overlooked? How can the museum really focus on artists who have made important contributions and who have not had the opportunities that other artists have had, whether it's having galleries or shows or or other uh, or other things that have allowed them to to be more central to that conversation? And so I'm thinking a lot about not only issues of race but also issues of gender, issues of uh, location, and and all those things. Be- will begin to to complicate the collection. I think in looking at the collection, I learned that the collection is, for the most part, um, a white collection, male collection, uh, which is not rare. It's a, That's very much in line what, with the way that people uh, were thinking about this. And the art historian Linda Nochman had asked um, early on, you know, why are there no famous women in the in, in museums, right? And and that's true. When you look at the collection, you you look at a period, and you can be looking at the '60s, and you can be asking yourself, you know, where is Eva Hesse? Where, if, even within the United States, right? Without thinking globally, you're you begin to think, yeah, they're really not there. And maybe the bigger institutions have been slightly better than that. But in but in reality, when you look at percentages, you're you're not doing that. And it's not just about percentages. It's also about thinking more truly about um, what is transformation. And I think that we're seeing a very different transformation in, in the way that we experience art uh, due to this, the, the conversations that we're having in the world about, about uh, some of these issues themselves, right? They, they're changing the story. Who tells the story is very important. And I think that that kind of mediation uh, is changing the way that we practice um, you know, museum work and, and art history as well. In the course of this year, and um, we're taping this on one day and people will hear it forever, but you told a wonderful story about an African-American artist who, before she became famous, found her way to the Rose. Yes, and this is, a, this is a, I think, the good stories about culture and art, right? How artists are uh, constantly have uh, supporters, champions. Um, so Howardina Pindell, who had a, a show in 1993, 
uh, at the Rose uh, during the time that Carl Peltz was the director there. So that's three directors before me. Uh, she was, at the time, she was a mid-career artist, not terribly well-known, and, and that was her first retrospective, came to the museum as a traveling exhibition. And then now I, I'm, I'm, I was able to bring uh, the show um, that the Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago has organized, which is also a traveling show, much uh, tighter now because she's a very, very well-known and very respected and celebrated artist um, nowadays. And so it's interesting to, to have this artist come back. It's always interesting to me also that very few people remember that we hosted that show. So now there's a renewed interest in this artist and people are like, oh, I'm so excited to see her. But they don't remember that she was there before. Um, she does remember, however, that she's coming back and she and so that's exciting. And, you know, we've been looking at the pictures and seeing that uh, very many of the pieces that are in the show were in the first show. So it's also a return for the pieces to the museum. And then uh, when she when she was there the first time, the museum was the the old rose, which was the the, the Abramovitz uh, old bu building, and now, and now we have an addition. But you know, it's thirty years later, so she's made more work, so she's able to fill the the rest of the museum. So we've given we've given the museum to her, and I think that arc of 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 building a relationship with artists, I personally, as a curator, have always been interested in. You know, kind of following up and having a commitment to artists, but. Even um, as institutions, I think when I found out, because I, I didn't know when I, when I booked the show that she had been there, I had read the history, but I, I had not gone through it very much in detail. And then, of course, I found it and it was a happy moment because it's, it, it's, it's a good thing. Um, my first thought was like, good for them. You know, that's like it, it, it was so great that they were able to put her in the program and that we, we can claim this relationship with her that, you know, precedes my time here and that uh, meets her at another very differ different and exciting time in her career. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is, is really in the forefront of conversations that we have with virtually every one of our mm -hmm. cultural organizations that we partner with here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And I think the thing we do here over and over again is the difficulty in recruiting diverse staff. Diverse audiences for sure, but diverse staff, diverse leaders, diverse curators, diverse art historians. You mentioned it's a problem with the field. How do we address that? Yes, I, I, I think it's true. I mean, I, 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 I experienced it myself as a, as a director trying to, to uh, recruit a more diverse uh, group of people. I think that that the field has not done so much to be able to to promote. I know that there are initiatives. I, I, I don't want to say that there there isn't anything, but I think that there's still a lot of work to do, and there's still a lot to to really make the field more representative, particularly an area like the arts that's usually um, more aligned with progressive ideas. I think it's important for us to to continue um, doing m much more work. I I find, you know, I remember my own. Uh, sort of experience uh, when I when I first came to this country I I was educated in English always and in my first few jobs I for instance wasn't allowed as a curator to to write labels or anything because I because English was not my mother tongue and I you know I had gone through my whole schooling in English I went to university in England it was a it was a kind of strange thing that these kinds of barriers are things that um, that maybe prevent other people from moving forward. I, I'm not saying that that 
stopped me in any way. Um, but it was a real thing. It was a real thing, and I and 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 I think that it's important to value different perspectives and different backgrounds to to think that they enrich the field and enrich the experience of the visitors as a whole. And it also feels as if if a person is going to want to work in a museum, they sort of have to see themselves there. That it is that the exhibitions, that the collections represent who they are. That's true. I think that this issue of of being able to recognize yourself in the programming, in the in the way that the museum thinks about about audience as a whole is really important. What is a truly welcoming institution? How you, how can you create a, a a visitor experience that that is um, true to where we are today or to the world that we aspire to have? I think the issue, for instance, with the collections is, is that harder. It's harder the one the one that we were talking about before in the sense that it's very difficult to to kind of correct what's happened in the past. Like, for instance, when I look at the at the collection, um, some of the aspects of the collection where I could, you know, introduce more women or more, more artists of color or something like that, the market has completely uh, prevented me from doing that, you know, in the sense that I cannot go and and make choices that should have made been made in 1961, you know. Uh, so in a way, you're trying to think smartly on how to, I always say, on how to contaminate uh, the, what, what's there. What can you introduce that begins to create a wedge um, so that people can think in, in more tangential ways and the story is not as clear? I think that that's a very important thing, that modernism, as we knew it, uh, you know, as a movement in terms of architecture, art, um, even social policy was very linear. And, um, you know, this linearity of thinking like we are here and eventually we'll get to a better place uh, hasn't proved uh, true. And so in some way, this idea of thinking more broadly, more tangentially, in a a more uh, sort of complicated way is something that only comes from from that confluence of of ideas and conversations that come from from different backgrounds, different... um, different forms of thinking. Louise Croker, another one of our creative minds out loud. Thank you. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.